Uh, good morning, everyone. If you've got a Bible there, turn to Exodus chapter 27. So last week we learned about the design and construction of the tabernacle. And this week we're going to go on to learn about the bronze altar, where the sacrifices were offered up to God, the court of the tabernacle, the care of the lampstand, and the garments for the priests. Again, it all points to Jesus. So before we start, I'll pray, and then I've got some pictures for you, so you know what I'm talking about, because it's much easier when you see it as a picture. Anytime you're reading in Exodus about the garments of the priest, or altar, or something like that, just Google priestly garments, and it'll come up with pictures of it for you. That's all I've done. Father, thank you, Lord, for the understanding that we gain about Jesus, and how it points to Jesus, and how it reveals to us more truth about Jesus. And Lord, we just pray that you help us to have a greater understanding of who you are, what your ministry is, how much you love us, and what our responsibility is to. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so pictures first. So this is the bronze altar. It's bronze because it's speaking of judgment. And you can see they're burning the sacrifice and the, the horns on the altar. We'll get to that later. It's got a grate in the middle so the ashes can fall through. And it's probably got a network or like a, a grate in the side to let the air in as well. This is a picture of the actual tabernacle. So there's actually three doors. You've got the first door at the front into the actual courtyard. Then you've got the second door or curtain into the holy place. And the third door or curtain into the holy of holies. So this part here is where you've got the, the altar and the bronze laver. And then you go into the holy place and you've got the candlestick, the menorah, the altar of incense, and the showbread. And then inside the Holy of Holies, you've got the Ark of the Covenant. And we went through the tabernacle last week. This week, we're going to look at the altar at the front, out in the courtyard there, the bronze altar, where they offer the sacrifices, and also what all the things mean about the courtyard, how it's been built, and what it represents. Here, if we get to this today, the garments for the high priest. So the first thing it mentions is the ephod, which is this thing that comes down to his waist. It starts at the shoulders and goes down to his waist, or to his knees, basically. And it's woven. Then you've got the two stones up here. You can't see them very well, but there's two stones, two onyx stones, and he's got the names of the tribes written on top, six on each side. Then you also, over his heart, you've got this breastplate, which attaches to the ephod. And that's got the 12 stones, one with each name of each of the tribes. You've got the sash. It's like a belt. And that goes around his waist, keep everything in place. You've got this tunic, which is underneath, that white tunic. You've got the blue robe, which goes over the white tunic. On the bottom of the blue robe, you've got the bells and pomegranates. We'll explain those later. And the turban on his head, and they've got this gold plate which has written on it, Holy to the Lord. So that's the garments for the high priest. For the ordinary priest, it was something like this. So you had a head covering, and you had a white tunic, and he had a, a sash. So I'll explain what those things mean when you get to it. So for now, let's just start in chapter 27 with the altar. You shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square and its height shall be three cubits. So it's seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet wide and long. 
and four and a half feet high. It's the first thing you'd see as you walked into the tabernacle there. It's also the largest thing. It's the largest piece of furniture there. This is where sacrifices were made. This is where the blood was shed. And it speaks of the cross. It's a place of death. So the altar is a place of death. It's the cross. You shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. And you shall overlay it with bronze. Bronze again for judgment. This is where sin was judged. And Jesus on the cross was judged because he became sin for us, like that song we just sang. Now the horns were used to tie the sacrifice to the altar. And Psalm 118.27 says, God is the Lord and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. So Jesus was of course bound to the cross, but in reality it wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross. It was his love for us. They mocked him and they jeered him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself. In Mark 15, 31. But they failed to understand that if he saved himself, then he couldn't save them. So he lost his own life so that he could save ours. Now, just to illustrate this concept that Jesus wasn't held on by the nails, but it was his desire and his will to stay on the cross for us. When they came to arrest Jesus in the garden, Peter gets his sword out and he goes, and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant, Malchus, I think. And Jesus says to Peter, after Peter had cut the ear off this guy, in Matthew 26, 53 to 54, or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen this way? So if one angel can kill 185,000 soldiers in one night, imagine what 12 legions of angels could do. So Jesus died on the cross because he wanted to, because it was his desire. In Hebrews he tells it he did it because he wanted to see us as his brethren. So verse 3, And you shall make its pans to receive its ashes and its shovels and its basins and its forks and its fire pans. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. You shall make a grate for it, a network of bronze, and on the network you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. You shall put it under the rim of the altar beneath, that the network may be midway up the altar. I'm assuming that's where the air can get in so the fire can burn, like a lattice type thing. And you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. The poles shall be put in the rings, and the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar to bear it. You shall make it hollow with boards, as it was shown you on the mountain, so they shall make it. So like all the other pieces of furniture, it's carried by poles, put through rings, and it's all portable. So basically like the table of the showbread, the communion table is portable. So wherever we go, we can take that with us. It's in our heart. Now the interesting thing about this altar was it's the only piece of furniture covered with purple. So I've just got this verse here in Numbers. And they shall take away the ashes from the altar and spread a purple 
cloth over it. They shall put on it all its implements in which they minister there, the firepans, the forks, the shovels, the basins, and all the utensils of the altar. And they shall spread on it a covering of badger skins and insert its poles. So it's got two coverings. It's got the purple cloth and it's got these badger skins. So what color is purple? Well, blue is deity. White is righteousness. Red is the sacrifice. So purple is royalty. He's a king. So Jesus is our king, not because of what he does for me now, but because of what he already did for me on the cross. He's not our king so that we'll have a happy day, we'll have our bills paid, or that we'll get a newer car, or have better relationships. So the purple cloth was over the brass altar, and only over the brass altar. The other items had different colors. Exclusively because that is the basis of his kingly authority over our lives. He saved us from hell. That's it. And if he never answers another prayer or sends another blessing our way, that's still enough reason for us to submit to him and to worship him. Now, over the purple was the second covering, a badger skin. So this royal purple cloth and then a common badger skin. Remember, that was you know an ugly-looking covering. Why? Well, someone said that you can look at the cross in two ways. Like the two thieves on the cross and next to Jesus, one said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, that he recognized Jesus' deity. He recognized that Jesus was God and that he was dying for the sins of the world. Well, the other thief, he mocked and he badgered Jesus. He didn't accept Jesus as being God. He didn't accept that Jesus was dying for his sins and he ended up dying in sin, unforgiven. So because Jesus paid the price for our sin, our lives have been permanently and eternally altered. So when we come to the altar, our lives are altered. We are going to heaven because of the work Jesus did on the brass altar of Calvary. Verse 9, You shall also make the court of the tabernacle. For the south side there shall be hangings for the court made of fine woven linen. So it's describing these curtains. These are white curtains all the way around, white linen, except for the door. For the south side there shall be hangings for the court made of fine woven linen. It's white. 100 cubits long for one side, and it's 20 pillars, and their 20 sockets shall be bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be silver. Likewise, along the length of the north side there shall be hangings 100 cubits long, with its 20 pillars and their 20 sockets of bronze, and the hooks of the pillars and their bands of silver. And along the width of the court on the west side shall be hangings of 50 cubits, with their 10 pillars and their 10 sockets. The width of the court on the east side shall be 50 cubits. The hangings on one side of the gate, or door, shall be 15 cubits, with their three pillars and their three sockets. And on the other side shall be hangings of 15 cubits, with their three pillars and their three sockets. So, we have this linen fence, this white linen fence, surrounding the tabernacle and making this courtyard. It's about 150 feet long and about 75 feet wide. So why do you need a white curtain around the tabernacle? Well, it's been suggested that it's indicative that if you're not as righteous 
as God needs you to be to enter heaven. If you're not perfect, then you can't enter. The standard of righteousness need to enter into there is perfection. So, who says I can't go to heaven? Someone might say, I'm a pretty good guy. But they fail to understand that their righteousness is like filthy rags. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. So, we do not make it up to God's standard. We are not perfect. And so that curtain, it keeps people out for that reason. Uh, verse 16. For the gate of the court, there shall be a screen 20 cubits long, woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen made by a weaver. So the door into the outer courtyard was made of the same fabric as the veil and the door into the tabernacle itself. So the three doors are all the same. Because it doesn't matter what we're talking about, whether it's the door into the courtyard, which we can say is a place of salvation, the door into the holy place, which we could consider as a place of service, or the door into the holy of holies, which we could think of as a place of worship. It's all the same door. It's all through Jesus. We have access through Jesus. So the tabernacle's in three sections. You've got the outer courtyard, the holy place, and the holy of holies. I think of this as three stages in our life, in our life of Christ. So the first step is we go into the outer courtyard. We're in the courtyard. We're in Christ. We're part of the kingdom. We're inside that white curtain of righteousness. We understand that the Lamb of God was slain for our sins. We receive his salvation. We embrace his grace. But then there are others who say, who have gone to the courtyard, because God has been so good to me, I want to serve him. So they go into the holy place and they serve the showbread, which speaks of the word of God. So they teach Sunday school, they lead family devotions, they share the word with someone at work, they see the golden lampstand and desire to let their light shine through good works. So Matthew 5.16, helping in the nursery, you know, the kids, visiting those in prison, going to hospitals, helping those in need. And finally, they smell the incense on the altar of incense and they're reminded that it speaks of intercession. So they pray consistently for the lost and for their brothers and sisters, for their families and for the country. But then there's a next step. There are others. Like the high priest himself, they enter into the holy of holies in order to simply spend time in the Lord's presence, to consider his character, to ponder his nature, to give him praise, to express their love, to bring him pleasure. And all too often we don't understand this. We think that, oh, if we could just lead worship and preach a sermon or be a missionary, we'd be amazing. All right? But those things don't hold a candle. They don't come close to the highest level, to coming into the presence of the Lord and worshipping him intimately. And guess what? Not everyone's called to be a pastor or a missionary, but everyone is called to worship. Everyone is called to go into the Holy of Holies. This is the most important ministry. This is what God saved us for, is to worship, to have fellowship with him, to have intimacy with God. It's God's ultimate plan and will for us. So here's an illustration of these three stages. Jesus goes to the home of his close friends in Bethany, the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So Lazarus is not mentioned in the Luke chapter 10 account. He's kind of, he's outside the house. So let's think of that as the court, all right, the outer court. He's a friend of Jesus. 
but he's outside of the house. Martha was in the kitchen, or we can say the holy place, serving. She was baking bread, doing good works, and even praying, Lord, tell my sister to get in here and help me. But then there's Mary, and where is she? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it's like she's in the Holy of Holies. She's worshipping. And of her, Jesus said, Mary has chosen the better part. Luke 10.42 So nothing compares to being in the Holy of Holies, to being in the Lord's presence. It's the highest calling, the most important part of ministry, and it's available to every Christian. So, Salvation, service, and intimacy are all entered through the same door, through Jesus' finished work on the cross. So just to finish this example, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the door into the courtyard. If any man come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Mark 8.34, that's like the door into the holy place, into service. And then finally, take eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Luke twenty two nineteen. That's the door into the deepest place of ministry, where we focus on who God is and how much he loves us, where we take the time to remember him. It's important that we don't just take the time to serve, but also take the time to remember, to worship, and to adore him. So the longer we walk with the Lord, the deeper we go in the Lord, the more we return to the cross, to that which first touched our hearts when we were born again. And Paul put it this way, this is our motive for serving. It's the love of Christ that motivates me, that constrains me to be a servant of his. 2 Corinthians 5.14, and he also says in Colossians 2.6, As you receive Christ Jesus, so walk in him. A passage that really strikes me as I read through the Bible, it's in um, Ezekiel. I'll just explain it before I read it. Back in the time of the kings, when they had the temple, Solomon had built the temple. The nation went haywire. The nation started following after idols. Now, some of the priests led the people in idol worship. They led the people astray in idol worship. But some of the priests remained faithful. So I want to read this with you. It just really highlights the importance of ministering and the difference between ministering to people and ministering to God. Okay. So that's what we're looking at here, the difference between ministering to people and ministering to God. The difference between the holy place and the holy of holies. And the Levites who went far from me, when Israel went astray, who strayed away from me after their idols, they shall bear their iniquity or their sin. Yet they shall be ministers or servants in my sanctuary, in my temple, in my house, as gatekeepers of the house and ministers of the house, servants of the house. They shall slay the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people. And they shall stand before them, the people, to minister to them. Because they ministered to them, the people, before their idols, and caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity or to sin, therefore I have raised my hand in an oath against them, this is towards the wayward priests, says the Lord God, that they shall bear their iniquity, the consequences of their sin. And the wayward priests, this is a consequence, And the wayward priest shall not come near me to minister to me as priest, nor come near any of my holy things, nor into the most holy place. But they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. So these priests who went away, God says, 
your punishment is you're going to be serving people, but you're not going to come near me. So ministering to people is different to ministering to God. The next bit is talking about the priest of Zadok. These were the priests who were faithful. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary, who looked after it, when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer the fat and the blood, says the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall come near my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. So, ministering to people is one thing, and yes, God does call us to do that. But ministering to God, taking that time to worship Him, not for what He does for you, but for who He is, is so important. And it's like the third and final stage of our Christian maturity is getting beyond what God does for us and what the benefits are of being a Christian and just loving God for who He is. There's a verse here in Psalm 24, verses 3 to 6. It says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? It says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. So who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. So again, I just want you to understand that public ministry is not nearly as important as what goes on in private. People think that, wow, they must be really spiritual out the front to be leading people, and, but that's not necessarily true. I believe that there are many people in public ministries who serve with the wrong motive, and I've done it myself. It can be for vainglory, pride, to control people, financial gain. There is many, many reasons you can do this. Be out the front. What God sees as far more important is the person in their bedroom or their closet by themselves, door closed, praying on their knees, weeping in humble adoration of their beloved and beautiful Saviour. They are ministering to God himself, not to people. They are experiencing true intimacy with God. They are in the Holy of Holies before the Shekinah glory of God dwelling between the cherubim, so to speak, okay, figuratively speaking. And I believe it's only when a person truly enters the Holy of Holies, when they lay aside everything and spend time with the Lord just to worship him, to adore him and honour him, when worship becomes more important than ministry, only then will they have the right motive for serving in a public setting. Why? Because it's only when I spend time worshipping God that I really learn who He is. I begin to realise how holy and perfect He is, and therefore how wretched and miserable I am. I begin to understand how great and big and mighty God is, and therefore how small and weak I am. I begin to see how merciful, kind and loving God is, and therefore how much I need his agape love in my life. I become small in my own eyes because my eyes have beheld the Lord of hosts. As John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. It's only when I truly worship that I take my eyes off myself and put them on Christ, and that's when we really start to change, to be transformed into his image. And it's only then that I finally realize my need 
why I need to depend on him, to submit to him, to live in humble dependence on him for all my needs and to truly surrender my own will to his. So what we've just been talking about is just the going from the outer court into the holy place, into the holy of holies and representing just understanding you're saved, then understanding God's got a job for you to do, to serve, and then finally that God wants us to worship him for who he is. goes beyond service. Okay, verse 16. It shall have four pillars and four sockets, and the pillars around the court shall have bands of silver, their hooks shall be of silver, and their sockets of bronze. The length of the court shall be 100 cubits, the width 50 throughout, and the height 5 cubits. So that's 7.5 feet. Made of fine woven linen, that's white linen, and its sockets of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle for all its service, all its pegs, and all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze. And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil or pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. So, when the people come, they're not to come empty-handed. They're to bring the oil for the lamp. So, what I get from this is that we come to church not to be blessed, but to be a blessing, to bless other people. So it was a priest's job to make sure the lampstand was trimmed in good order, but the people were to bring the oil. So this speaks of what our attitude should be when we come to church. We should have our hearts prepared. As we've learned, the oil represents the Holy Spirit. We should be filled with the Spirit before we come to church so we can be a blessing to others. In other words, we come to be a blessing, not to be blessed. We come to give, not to receive. Now it doesn't matter about your circumstances. If your heart is right with the Lord, then you've got something to give. Now, of course, as we give to each other, we are blessed by the Lord and each other. So how do I prepare my heart so that I am filled with the Holy Spirit before I come to church? Well, the same thing we do every day. We read the word prayerfully, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to our hearts and give us understanding. Also, we pray according to the word and by the power, wisdom and direction of the Holy Spirit. I need to remember each morning my total dependence on the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit so I can be witness to those around me. That's Acts 1.8. So God, God's mercies are new every morning. And so every morning at the start of each day, we should be surrendering our will again to God every day, willingly giving him control over our lives. If you go back to the manna, God's manna is with the bread of life, the word of God is new every morning. And his mercy is new every morning too. But just like the Israelites, we need to gather what we need for the day, each day. And that symbolically represents us reading the word each day. We need to feed every day. Yesterday's manna bred worms if they tried to keep it. So you've got to get fresh manna, fresh bread every day, fresh feeding on the word of God. If we don't get into the word and get a spiritual breakfast, then our spirit will be weak. And just like our physical bodies are weak if we don't eat. Also, junk food makes us feel sick. Right? And so a diet of immorality and sin makes our spirit sick too. So be careful what you're watching and what you're listening to and what you're reading. So I need to think of not just what I need to take in, but also what I need to avoid. So if I don't make the time 
to start the day with the Lord, to prioritize that, then most likely I will go through the day on my own strength, not filled with the Spirit. I'll miss opportunities to serve and be a blessing. And when tough situations come about, I will not have the strength to make God-honoring decisions. Instead, I will generally blaspheme God's name by reacting in the flesh according to my old nature and not the Spirit. So I got all that just from the people bringing the oil to the tabernacle. So it's a bit of a stretch, I know. But for me, it's important that we come to give and not to get. Because that's Christ. Jesus so loved the world that he gave. Verse 21. In the tabernacle of meeting, outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. So, it's not from morning to evening, it's from evening to morning. And if you go back to Genesis, it's the same. So God reckons the day from evening to morning. So we reckon the day from morning to evening. So in our economy, we go from light to dark. God goes from dark to light. Chapter 28. This is exciting because we start to look at Jesus, the high priest. Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest. So notice that, minister to who? To people or to God? It's to God. That's the priority of ministry. The priority of ministry is not to minister for the Lord, but to minister to the Lord. And that can be done you're sitting in the church in the back seat, just opening your heart to the Lord. It can be done on a park bench as you're eating your lunch. It can be done at night or in the morning as you praise and worship the Lord personally. Verse 1 again, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eliza and Ithamar. So, Aaron and his sons were involved in ministry. God wants our families to be involved in our ministry. And Jesus is our great high priest, and because we are linked to him by his grace, we are adopted into his family, we are a royal priesthood. Therefore, each of us has a role to play in ministry. So just like Aaron, the high priest, had his sons working with him, well, our great high priest, Jesus, has us working with him. Verse 2, And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. Remember, Aaron is Moses' brother. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, with whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. They shall take the gold, blue and purple, and scarlet thread, and the fine linen. So notice, first of all, the high priest garments were made of the same materials as the materials for the tabernacle. Because the tabernacle speaks of Jesus, and so does these clothes that the high priest is going to wear. Some people say, Oh, I love Jesus, but the church is so full of problems that I have no use for it. It's full of hypocrites. I'm not going there. Well, I just want to take you to Hebrews. This is Jesus and his attitude towards the church. I like this. It's very encouraging. It says, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 to 12. 
So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. Notice that? Among the church. Among the assembled people. So the church is not perfect, but God is not ashamed of us. So never let the enemy whisper in your ear that you can separate Jesus, the great high priest, from his church. If you stay away from church, in effect, you're staying away from Jesus because Jesus is amongst his people. All right. Verse 6. And they shall make the ephod out of gold, blue, and scarlet thread, and a fine woven linen artistically worked. So it's a thing that goes down from his shoulders, just down the front to just above his knees. And it's a fitting garment for those who are involved in preparing animals for sacrifice. It's like an apron almost. But it also speaks of authority. In Old Testament culture, the ephod speaks of authority. There's an example here with Gideon. Gideon led the people of Israel to victory over their enemies, the Midianites. Remember his 300 men at night with the torch or lantern under the jar and they smashed that and shouted. The Midianites and the people with them killed each other and ran away. Now, after that, the people asked Gideon to be their king, but Gideon refused very wisely, saying it was the Lord who would rule over them, Judges 8.23. So not many people would turn down an opportunity for power, prestige, and privilege, but Gideon did. But he made a critical mistake when he melted the golden earrings the men had collected as the spoils of war into a golden ephod. And I don't know what he was thinking, but maybe he thought a golden ephod would help the people remember they were to get instruction and counsel from God through the high priest, because the priest was the one who wore the ephod, the high priest. But guess what? Gideon's plan backfired when the people began worshipping the ephod instead of worshipping God. You and I have a great high priest who is the authoritative one. So we need to get our wisdom from him we have to be so careful that we don't begin to say well i've got some pretty good things to say some very enlightening counsel to give my own golden ephod to share with you my own wisdom so there's a verse in isaiah woe to the rebellious people who take counsel but not of me the lord declares in returning to me and resting you will be saved and then you'll hear a voice in your ear saying This is the way, walk in it, walk you in it. And that's Isaiah chapter 30 and verses 1, 15 and 21. So it's a compilation of verses there. So Jesus is the one who wears the ephod. Jesus is the anointed one. He's the one who gives the directions and we get a wisdom from him. So woe to the rebellious people who take counsel but not of me. All right, verse 7. It shall have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges, and so it shall be joined together. And the intricately woven band of the ephod which is on it shall be of the same workmanship made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. Now the band of the ephod is like a sash, like a belt. And it's worn around the waist, so it stops the ephod from flapping around. As you're walking, it holds it in. Now, 
What did Jesus do in John 13 in the upper room? He got the towel around him, the sash, the band, whatever you want to call it. And he got down and he washed the disciples' feet. So this sash, this belt, if you want to call it that, the girdle, depending on your translation of the Bible, it speaks of Christ, the serving one. So just as the ephod and girdle were made of the same material, true authority is always linked to a servant mentality. So the sash represents servanthood. Jesus said, Don't be like the Gentiles who seek to lord it over others. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you must be the servant of all. That's Matthew 20, 25 and 26. Jesus didn't say, if you want to be great, repent. No, he said, if you want to be great, here's how. Be the servant of all. So, do you love your wife, husband? Do you love your kids? Not spoiling them, but being sensitive to them. Hearing their hearts, meeting their needs. So Jesus shows us how this all works. The Lord of all was a servant to all. The master of all was a minister to all. And I'm glad that we serve our Lord like that. Our great high priest, Jesus, wears the ephod of authority. He's the high priest. At his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord, Philippians 2.10. But linked to the ephod, he wears a sash. He wears it around his waist to wash the feet of sinners like you and me. So there's that power and that humility together. Verse 9. Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of the names on one stone and six names on the other stone in order of their birth with the work of an engraver in stone like the engravings of a signet or signet ring. You shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold. So we are all founded on the same rock, Jesus. And you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as a memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. So the twelve stones are over his heart, but the two stones are on his shoulders. What do we do with our shoulders? We bear burdens with our shoulders. Are you willing to take some risk, to carry some weight? Will you lift others to the Lord as you intercede for them on your knees? Will you do some heavy lifting on behalf of others? Jesus did. He bore the heaviest thing on the world when he bore the weight of my sin. So it's a kind of a picture of intercession, of lifting others up. And you shall also make settings of gold, and you shall make two chains of pure gold like braided cords, and fasten the braided chains to the settings. And now we go on to the breastplate. You shall make the breastplate of judgment artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Of fine woven linen, you shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length, and a span shall be its width. So this is a bit that attaches by two rings on the ephod, and it's got the 12 stones on it. Verse 17, and you shall put settings of stones in it Four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardis, a topaz, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. So each tribe gets a different gem, each with its own distinct color. 
So each tribe is different. We're all different, but we're all very, very valuable. So you think of Habakkuk. He wrestled with issues. And then there's Jeremiah. He's a weeping prophet. Very different, but still gems in the eyes of God. And together, those 12 different colors, if the light was on, there would have been a beautiful reflection with the light. So together, we're all different, but we are beautiful together. God uses us together. They shall be set in gold settings, and the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel according to their names, like the engravings of a signet. Each one with its own name, they shall be according to the twelve tribes. There's a verse in Isaiah 49, it's verse 15 and 16, it says, Can a mother forget her nursing child? God asks, Neither will I forget you, because you are engraved in the palms of my hands. Isn't that special? Our names are engraved in the palms of his hands. I think of that as meaning that the nail that pierced my Saviour's palms had my name on it because it was for me, but he took it. And also our names are on the Saviour's heart. They're not penciled in. They're engraved. He will never, ever forget us, which is special. Can't rub engraving out. It's there permanently. Verse 22. You shall make chains for the breastplate at the end, like braided cords of pure gold. So basically chains of gold holding the breastplate onto the ephod. Then the next verses explain how to fit that. Verse 26. You shall make the two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it, which is on the inner side of the ephod, and two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod towards its front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. So it's going to fit on his chest, above the sash, and below his shoulders. Verse 29, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breast plate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place, as a memorial before the Lord continually. So here we see Christ, the loving one. So where does he carry his people, his children? He carries them on his heart. Remember, this is a picture of Jesus, our high priest. So he sees everyone as a priceless gem. And there's not one person that Jesus Christ loves on the face of the earth or in all of history more than he loves you. I just want to finish on that because it's a beautiful place to stop. Christ, the loving one carrying us on his shoulders and also over his heart, praying for us, lifting us up, interceding for us. And we're beautiful gems in his sight. So remember that. No matter how you feel, no matter how you fail sometimes, how I fail sometimes, I just remember that he's carrying you on his shoulders, he's lifting you up, and you're over his heart. He loves you. So Father, we thank you for Lord, all the things we've learned about the tabernacle and now we're starting to learn about the high priest, Jesus, our high priest, who forever lives to make intercession for us. And Lord, help us to go over these verses again in our own time and just meditate on what these mean for us and to understand, Lord, your holiness, to understand, Lord, the different degrees of, of maturity of just being saved and understanding forgiveness versus Serving because of what you've done for us, but then worshipping you just because of who you are. And the difference between ministering 
to people and ministering to you. Help us to think about that, meditate on that, and to understand that, we pray. And bless us today, Father, and I pray we'll have sweet fellowship with each other. In Jesus' name, amen.